Hey, we're coming to you today from Not So Plucky, Kentucky. And we thought after we reviewed uh, one or two of our podcasts that we would back up and talk a little bit more about listening. Last podcast, uh, you remember, Ray, we were really making an argument of the importance of listening, its importance to communication and being effective as a communicator. And, And as we were talking, you were suggesting, and I certainly agree with it, that maybe we need to talk a little bit about why listen. What are some of the things that would uh, cause us to commit ourselves to listening? Because we both know it's very hard work. So maybe you could kind of address that. Okay, Bob, great. I do think anything you have to work hard at, you have to discipline yourself to do, requires some motivation that has to have a reason. And among the reasons that I've picked up on that you need to consider uh, worthy, valid, in order to listen, for one is uh, listening gives you useful information. When you listen effectively, you get information that has high utility. Now, a lot of people listen in a way where what they get is tedious, not useful, unproductive information. Okay, so I think if you listen effectively, what you can count on is that you'll get very useful information. That's the reason why you ought to listen effectively. And the condition here or the underlying issue is how we listen. And when you say listen effectively or listen actively or whatever term we want to use, it's different than the way most of us listen. The typical way we listen, which is much more passive, doesn't necessarily guarantee as useful information. Useful information is going to come from a more active form of listening. All right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I think people need to make a consistent distinction between hearing and listening. Hearing is a very passive activity. It happens unless your ears are blocked. Unless you have an, an auditory deformity or an auditory problem, you'll you'll hear. But just because you're hearing doesn't mean you're listening. It doesn't mean you're picking up salient details. It doesn't mean you're actively involved. The reason why I think people should listen effectively is because it shows regard. Very often in a relationship, by merely listening well, people believe you care about them much more. I know I've had people say to me that at least they cared enough or he or she cared enough to listen to me. And I think that's an indication that if you listen well, if you listen effectively, you are demonstrating a level of empathy or regard that, quite frankly, has a positive impact on the relationship. A third reason I use in my listening, and, and I think has served me well, is I try to listen effectively so I can get other people to talk. There are times that people are reluctant to share, reluctant to talk, and by you listening well, it encourages them to tell their story. The other thing is there are people who talk, quite frankly, too much. And if you listen effectively, you can you can help shape that so it's not too much and so that they're talking in, in a more valuable way. So those are reasons I have for listening. Are there some others you'd like to add, Bob? Well, one of the things that you brought up, the distinction between hearing and listening a word that comes to my mind that really distinguishes the two is that listening, genuinely listening, is attending. That there, there are a set of attending behaviors involved that communicate to the other person, you're attending to me. And that's a fundamental underlying distinction. So as we talk about the idea of being more effective as a communicator and desiring to be more strategic, I think one of the things that comes into play when we promote listening as significantly as we are doing is that by listening, you are guaranteeing to the other person, hey, I'm really trying to attend to you. Now you're smiling. So what are you thinking about? I'm thinking of an example in my life where that it's kind of a contradiction, in fact, is that people often have to, for employment purposes, have to go in and take a hearing test. 
And it's only to check out the quality of their ears where they're picking up sound. And yet many people turn that into a listening test because they become very active. They bear down. They'll squint their eyes and they'll really put some pressure on themselves, pick up those little sounds in the distance so that they can pass this test. Well, they've actually turned a hearing test into a listening test. That's the difference between the two for me. Hearing is very passive. If I were to sit there and not care one way or another where I picked up the sound, I would be hearing it. But if I'm really bearing down, if I'm really working at it, if I'm really trying to make sure I don't miss anything, then I'm actually listening. So I'm smiling because I think very often in our lives, when we've had to take those tests, we've actually turned them into the listening that you and I are referring to. Yep. Listening more than uh, just uh, hearing. In fact, as you were sharing that, I was thinking about an exercise I often used in my classes teaching at the university, the name game. And what I would do with a group of 25 to 30 students is I would go around and starting with a student on my left, I would have that person say their name and then the person next to them say the first person's name and then their name. And then we would go all the way around the room. And immediately students would start saying, I'm not good at names or I don't have good memory, or I can't remember. And I would say to them, this is not an exercise in memory. This is an exercise in listening. And it really just comes down to how much you're going to pay attention and how much you're going to attend to what people are saying. And it is a case of being very attentive versus just simply relaxing. Yeah. Uh Yeah, That's a good exercise. Well, now, one of the observations you made, and we talked a little bit about, was the notion of ROI of listening. And that's maybe a little bit different than why we should listen or the purpose of listening of what are the benefits of listening? What's our return on investment? And again, this whole episode, or at least most of it, we're trying to make an argument of, hey, it's worth it. Sometimes we just say, you know, it's just almost too hard to listen or as people really get at it and try to do it, it's not as easy as they thought. And so they're saying, I'm not sure there's a big enough payoff at the end for me to really invest in this kind of effort and energy. Well, one of the sizable payoffs that I've realized over the years is that when you listen effectively, when you genuinely commit to the active role of listening to other people, one of the things that happens is you get all kinds of positive points in perception. For example, if we would ask our listeners to identify three people by name who they consider good listeners, whether it's family members or friends or former faculty or coaches or whomever, but they have to identify people based only on the attribute that they're a good listener, effective listener, and then have them identify traits, view ways they view these people, all three of them in common. The most often traits that come up are, I, I trust these people. I love these people. I think these people are wise. I think these people are knowledgeable. I think these people are honest. Now, to me, that's a rather fascinating outcome mm. for listening is if I choose to listen effectively, people give me all kinds of points in those very important personal attributes. I know as a former therapist, people ask their view of me on occasion, and and I got this same feedback. Well, I really trust Dr. Husband. I really trust, I, I really think he's honest. I really think he cares about me. I think he's very wise. Well, I don't know if any of those are ac- accurate exactly. And these people didn't know me. <laughs> they, they only knew me one hour a week, and they were giving me all of these points. Well, I think that's a byproduct of effective listening, that people believe in you. They see you differently. They It changes the perception of who you are, and it almost invariably impacts the relationship positively. Mm-hmm. Now, you've also shared with me, though, Bob, some of the things you think are a byproduct of effective listening. What are some of the ones you have? 
Yeah, I think folks out there would have to give it a try and see if these are really playing out in their own lives. But I certainly agree with you that one of the outcomes of being a more active listener is that people really do see you more favorably and really see you as a person who's attending to them and is paying attention. And as you said, even engendering trust, even engendering trustworthiness and things like that. One of the practical outcomes I've seen is that I think when I listen more actively, uh, more directly uh, to people, I think they begin to listen to themselves more carefully. And I've watched it in groups where when people in groups are listening to one another more actively and using the behaviors that we keep referring to, and we're going to refer to later in this episode, that reflect and engender active listening, they really do cause others to begin to listen more actively themselves, cause others to begin to listen more carefully to what they're saying, not only to what others are saying, but oftentimes when you raise a question, is this what you're trying to tell me? And the person says, oh, no, that wasn't what I was trying to say. They actually begin to think, I need to be more clear in what I'm trying to communicate to other people. One of the other things I've found is that in groups, when you create a situation and environment when more people are displaying more active listening behaviors, the group itself may be surprisingly, but I would say not unexpectedly, becomes less argumentative. So there's another ROI on being a good listener. If you go into a group and as a leader, you say, I want this group to really confront reality, to challenge each other, but not to be argumentative. That is going to require a significant amount of active listening on the part of you and other people in the group in order to make that happen. Bob, I don't know if I'm hearing exactly accurately. Are you suggesting that if you're willing to work at being an effective, active listener, you actually begin to model the behavior that you want others to consider and they pick up on it either intentionally or unconsciously, they begin to do some of those very same things? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it is a case of modeling, but for me, it wouldn't be modeling with intent. I wouldn't be saying, okay, I'm going to actively listen just so I can show you what it looks like. I would be active listening with the intent to say to the others, I'm attending to you. And then in hopes that they in turn would say to the others in the group, that makes me want to be more attentive. I want to pay attention to what people are saying. I want to be a little more clear and precise in how this conversation is unfolding. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's another ROI on listening. Bob, one of the things, if I call it a fun fact that I picked up in preparation for our comments on listening was one of the dilemmas in listening for the listener is the rate of speech that people speak. Mm. One of the things uh, that I find fascinating is that we, on average, speak at about 150 words per minute, research tells us. Now, that can vary regionally. I mean, maybe in the Northeast of New York, where they talk so fast, that might be upwards of 160, 170. Maybe down south, somewhere deep south, Louisiana might be down around 80. So there's some variance in there. But we speak at on an average of 150 words a minute. We listen at 80% comprehension at 500 words per minute. So what that does is it leaves 350 words per minute to feel like you're wasting time, mm. to tune out, to lose your sense of presence. And I think that's a, that's a natural dilemma that people don't think of, that one of the reasons why we have difficulty listening is that in truth, people aren't speaking fast enough. We can we can listen much faster than people can normally speak. You know, I'm smiling and almost on the verge of laughter, right? Because you remind me of one of our very loved uncles and aunts 
who used to engage in an activity where when they would come and visit, one of them would start speaking and the other would start speaking simultaneously to the other person (laughs) in the room. And they would just speak and talk and talk and talk. And you referred to it as synchronized speed speaking. (laughs) I've always thought about that, but I didn't judge that to be an effective behavior, but I had to laugh because we both encountered it and we love them so much. But nonetheless, it was a habit that they got into. And I think that in particular, synchronized speed speaking didn't work quite as effectively as they might have thought it would. Or anyway, that was just, <laughs> I bring up that fact only to say there are a lot of obstacles to listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, another reason why you have to work so hard is because there are some things that just obstructive that become difficulties to overcome in listening. Mm-hmm. Let's get back to the specific behaviors that you and I think really are on display when we talk about the communication event of listening. And we mentioned those in an earlier podcast, kind of went through them, and now we want to go back and unpack them a bit. So the first one that we wanted to tackle was the notion of asking questions. And I would be even more specific and say asking clarifying questions, because there's a lot of questions, evaluative questions, rhetorical questions that are not as helpful in this notion of listening as the simple clarifying question. And the first thing I would say, the great thing, at least in our culture, is that questions are perceived, clarifying questions are perceived as a listening behavior, not as a speaking behavior, even though it is a verbal behavior. And even though we think what we're doing is speaking. The good news is when I ask a clarifying question, the person who's on the other end of that hears that as listening, that I'm actively listening. And those questions help us bring that person into the conversation and also communicate to them, I'm attending to you. And so I think the role of questions is huge in listening. And I would also say that I think this is one of the places, and I'm probably repeating myself from a previous podcast, one of the places that we are not as good at, we're not as oriented towards. In fact, we talked about the notion of education and where we've been. Are there listening classes? Should there be listening classes for grade school kids, high school kids? And I mentioned that even at the university, we had no classes specifically on listening. And yet I think it's a critical communication behavior. And within that, if we had a course on listening, a lot of it should be devoted to the notion of asking clarifying questions. Thoughts on that or a different take? No, no, no. I I couldn't agree more. Uh, I really believe that the strategic communicator sees questions as being invaluable in their ability to shape conversation. They're invaluable in their ability to influence and be in control without being controlling. I mean, one of one of the aspects of being effective in communication is that you not be controlling. People honestly believe when they're in contact with you and they're in exchange with you that it's a free flow. It's a give and take. Now, in asking questions, what you're really doing is you're giving them room to answer the question any way they like, but you are, in fact, by being the questioner in charge. You are really taking the conversation in a direction or shaping the conversation so that it has more value. And that's contradictory to a conventionally held view that when I'm speaking, I'm in control. I think the general the general belief is when I'm talking, I'm in control. 
but we can identify so many situations that it's really not the person who's talking. But in conversation, at least, the person who's asking the questions that's doing a lot of controlling. One of the examples I have is in social settings. I used to work with executives who would say, I'm just not good in working the room. I just don't like to get in a social setting where I have to walk around and you know just glad hand people. I just don't like that. And so we talked about the importance of that in his or her role as an executive. But then we also talked about the notion that if you're rather reserved, quiet, shy, and you're an executive, that doesn't mean you can't be a good conversationalist in a social setting. What I really suggested was instead of going in and thinking, I've got to make all the statements, I've got to be clever, I've got to say funny things, I've got to be up to the latest in news and information, all you've got to really be armed with are some really good questions that you can ask other people about who they are. And two things are going on there. One, you're leaving that positive impression we talk about in terms of attending to the others, because when someone asks me a question about me, I think, wow, they're pretty impressive because they know who's most important here, and that's me. And so they're asking me questions about me. And so it leaves that positive impression. But secondly, you are generating conversation. You are making the conversation happen, and you're kind of controlling the direction of it. I think you had another example of that in a, was it a more professional setting or uh, the notion of, oh, you were using lawyers as an example of how the conversation gets controlled. Yeah, I think anyone who goes into a courtroom really understands that once the proceedings begin, once the attorneys have offered their opening remarks, the people who are in charge, the people who are in control are the attorney. But the only thing they can do is ask questions. They can't make statements. The judge stops them from doing that. They can't have opinions until the closing. So the only thing they can do is ask questions of every witness. And the rule, I think, among most attorneys is you don't ever ask a question you don't already have the answer to. That way, you don't ever get put in a hole yourself, but you can easily, by asking questions, drive someone into a corner they can't get out of. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all listen like attorneys or ask questions like attorneys. I think we have to be more authentic, less manipulative, less less in control than they are. But the principle is still the same. person who asks the questions is leading the direction of the conversation. Now, a person can break out of that and go to some other topic. We don't have that level of control. But I think that it's an important point to understand that if you want to listen effectively, you have to be able to influence where the conversation is going. Mm -hmm. As I look at this, we've really been trying to make an argument, both for the importance of listening and its contribution to you as a strategic communicator, and even more specifically, the ability to ask questions and the significance of asking questions as an activity that's going to make you a more effective communicator. We've run out of time again, and so we're going to have to continue to look at the behaviors that we want to go on to next and play out some of these, maybe even talk specifically about where questions fit in conversations uh, coming up, and even talk about Two other behaviors I know we want to get to are at least three, phrasing, reflecting, and summarizing. But we'll get to those. We promise you, listeners, uh, we're looking forward to our next conversation. 